All right, guys, welcome back to Ag with Emma. Today we are jumping over to Wyoming to meet with a dude who I have met through TikTok. His name is Brent, and he is based in Wyoming, like I said, but he has been everywhere. And he has kind of a unique story when it comes to his agricultural story and his experiences. So we're going to hear from Brent today and hopefully pick his brain and ask him some questions and dig a little deeper into why he chose this industry and what he enjoys the most. So Brent, hello, welcome to the podcast. Uh, would you introduce yourself to the crowd, please? Hey, y'all, uh, I'm Brent Weiss. Uh, Emma just can't pronounce my last name, so she didn't say it. Um, but basically, I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, um, and now I'm in Wyoming, and there's a lot of, a lot of that went on in between there, I guess. And, uh, but anyway, right now I'm a ranch hand, ranch section manager, whatever you want to call it, um, of an operation in Southeast Wyoming. Um, we do regenerative ag, cow-calf. I mean, it's a pretty diverse operation. We can get into that too. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about. So I don't know what you, how far you want me to go with this? Well, you can go as far or as um shallow as you want to on some subjects but um I would love to talk about some of the challenges you're facing right now with where you're at agriculture industry wise and being a ranch hand um especially in Wyoming where it's super cold right now or you know back and forth it's pretty temperamental from what I've seen from your snapchats but um if you could talk about the challenges that you've been facing lately with that if you're comfortable yeah so I mean I guess just to, I guess, go more into my background and help make everything more easy to understand is growing up in Eastern Pennsylvania, I just had like a small cow herd of like 20 to 30 cows and started doing that when I was like nine. Um, I worked on a produce farm through high school and then I went to college for uh, livestock science and management and I have a minor in equine science and management. management worked on a dairy farm and an equine breeding barn um, through college, had internships in Wyoming and Oklahoma and Maryland, um, all in the cattle industry. And then when I first graduated, I ended up in the poultry industry as a trainee for Mount Air Farms, which is probably the third or fourth largest poultry company in the nation right now. Um, so I did their program and then ended up as a assistant grain manager, promoted a grain manager. And then that was all amidst COVID and whatnot. And living on the East Coast got to be quite a hassle with COVID. So I, among other things, wanted to move out West and get back into cattle industry and all that. So made that jump. So really like lately, my biggest challenge personally has just been the fact that I've been out of the industry for you know, two years and, or was out of the industry for two years before I came back here. So just trying to get my feet wet and, you know, learn how they do things on this operation. I've only been here since June. So that's like nine months. Um, so right now, you know, that's personally my biggest challenge is just figuring everything out. Cause the cattle industry is so like seasonal or cyclical, like, so, you know, you're doing a different thing every time, you know, all the times a year. So you know, I started here, we were just getting into breeding season and making hay and all that, you know, and then we weaned and, you know, winter is not too bad for a cow calf person, just keeping your cows alive and making sure all that. Um, but now we're, 
we're getting into calving. We started calving some heifers and um, my cows won't calve for a while, but so that's kind of, I guess the quick and dirty of my life story. But other than that, you know, I mean, I'm still involved in our family farm at home. Um, I do some Facebook and marketing and stuff. And from that, I kind of see the biggest challenge just as an industry that we see is really that gap to the consumer. You know, I try to be as outreaching as I can on that Facebook just to help people learn things. And because there's things that like I know just the second nature growing up the way I did, but, um, you know, it's for me to, you know, go and talk to someone and say this, that, the other, like they just have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, but they're still trying to buy the product and this and that. And so, um, as an industry, I'd say our biggest thing is just the gap, you know, between the producer and the consumer. Yeah, I completely agree on that. That's the complete reason I started Ag with Emma. So it's great to meet, like, meet with people such as yourself that have that experience as well and understand the importance of sharing podcasts like this and uh, just sharing your experiences in general because the more open we are, the more willing and able people are to learn about our experiences. So how did you find your job in Wyoming? Because from the East Coast to Wyoming is quite a jump. What kind of connections did you have or did you find to land where you're at? So actually, um, so for the first job I had, my, my internship in Wyoming, um, I was, so in college, I was part of Alpha Gamma Rho Professional Agricultural Fraternity. Um, and I had like some job lined up and whatnot, but that fell through. And I was like, didn't have a summer job, was kind of in a bad situation. And one of our alumni posted on our alumni Facebook page that, someone he grew up with on the Eastern shore of Maryland, um, you know, was out in Wyoming and needed a ranch hand for the summer. And I had, like I said, no job and didn't really know what to do. So I was like, well, I might as well, you know, apply for that. And so I did that. And so I found that through, you know, connections, which I can't say enough of, you know, if you're a young person listening to this, like make all the connections you can, no matter what you do or where you go, meet people. And because it'll get you so far in life. Um, so I love that job. And then Wyoming just kind of stuck with me. Um, but for whatever reasons, I didn't come back out West right away. And then once I was ready to come back out West, I really wanted to be in Wyoming. Um, <clears throat> but how I found the job, I found this job at another job I interviewed um, just on ranchworldads.com and ranchwork.com. Um, there's also Facebook pages you can look on. I mean, it's, it's really not hard. It's the hardest, it's not hard to find jobs. The hardest thing is to find legit, like jobs where people aren't just gonna, you know, take advantage of you and do this and that. So you kind of got to be kind of be cautious of, you know, what you're trying to look for and not that, and not, I mean, some people want that, you know, they just want to come out work for a summer and you know, learn and do this and that. But like me, I was looking for, you know, a full-time long-term gig. So a lot of stuff you're going to see on those websites is, you know, summer work or calving help, or, you know, you're only going to be doing irrigation or you're only going to be doing this or that, or the other. So that's the one thing I would caution people to is to just make sure you thoroughly look through and research the operation. And that's any job, you know, research the place you're going, because, you know, ideally you're going to spend a chunk of your life there. Exactly. So you mentioned 
full-time long-term. So you're planning on staying out in Wyoming, um, even with the family farm back in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so a family farm, Pennsylvania, it's, I hate the term hobby farm as I think most people do that. I spent, well, anyway, but, um, it's more of a quote unquote hobby farm. I mean, it's, it, it's very self-sufficient. It's not, but everyone that works, it has like my cousin's a teacher. Um, his wife works for um, a pharmaceutical company. Um, so it's not like it's a, you know, I couldn't stay home and just work farm and there's not, there's not any production ag jobs in the immediate area. You know, I could get a, a feed sales or, you know, sales job or a consult, like that kind of stuff. But really when I was in Wyoming the first time, which first time I was basically just cowboying over the summer. Um, but when I did that, I kind of, I kind of realized that production agriculture is where I wanted to be. You know, before that I thought about going to vet school. I thought about being a nutritionist and all this. And, you know, cause I was, I did fairly well in school and, you know, so people just naturally pushed me to further my education and whatnot. So I looked into all that stuff and by the time I did a couple of internships and whatnot, I was just like, I just want to be back on the farm. Like I just, it's what I love. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what's important. Yeah. So you talked about school. What did you go to school for and how has that helped you now? Yeah. So I went to school, I have a, technically I have a degree in animal science. Um, but my specification within that is livestock science. Um, so I, took classes. I went to a very, very small, like 1800 campus population um, school in southeastern Pennsylvania. It's actually founded as the National Farm School. Um, and now it's Delaware Valley University. Um, it's become a lot more diverse and um, well-rounded, but it's a good school, um, especially for, you know, being in the East for an agricultural school, there's very limited options especially if you don't want to go to a big school like a Penn State or a Cornell or something. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I studied livestock science. Um, so I took a lot of more like practical classes. So I didn't like get super in-depth and take like biochem and microbiology and all that. But I was taking classes where we were balancing feed rations and we were, um, you know, at animal disease class where we were doing real life scenarios of, you know, okay, I have a cow, just calved you know, this is what's going on, you know, diagnose her, how are you going to treat her? What are you going to look for? And this and that. So it was really practical education. And that was really good for me. And it's given me a lot of reference points to look back on. And especially like I took beef science, sheep science, well, small remnant science, sheep and goat, swine science, um, alternative ag, which is when you get into like bison farming and deer farming and quail and alpacas and all that crazy stuff um so i just i tried to take a lot of classes that were going to translate better into a production career um instead of like i said those biochems and microbios and stuff because at the end of the day i don't understand that stuff anyway so sitting there in a class and getting through a class was would have been easy enough and it would have looked good um, but i really would have took nothing away from it at the end of the day yeah, I love that you said that because there is an importance in taking classes that you know that you'll get something out of. And you can get something out of every class if you decide to, you know, but 
just making sure that it's oh, yeah. I mean, pointed towards the career that you want. So production, agriculture, and utilizing and, and that. And that's another thing too, like for like anyone listening to this that is going into ag, going to college and whatnot, like you're going to have to take gen eds and it's going to be horrible, but there is things that you can take at it. Like I had to take psychology and there's things, especially when it comes to, you know, like responding to people on TikTok and, you know, just talking to people about the industry. Like there's stuff I learned in psychology that makes me realize this person's not worth talking to because they have a heavy confirmation bias or this, that, or the other. Like there's so many things that, yeah, you're not going to be a psychologist, but you deal with people every day, pretty much. Even like in a job like me, where I actually don't deal with people every day. Like I deal with people every day on social media and stuff like that, because I try to be an, an advocate. Um, but so like take those classes for what they're worth. <laughs> But like, I'm not saying you have to sit there and like delve into this class and like, you know, say you love college writing or English or whatever. But at the end of the day, like try to take away from it what you can that you can apply to your career. Yeah, and I think that goes for even when you're out of college and, you know, going to these conferences and reading books and you're not going to have to dissect every piece of information but there are going to be pieces that apply to your life and I love what you said about psychology because when I was taking my associate classes and I was in psychology I was like oh my gosh this could help me so much with all this stuff that I'm planning on doing and now that I've been on social media and you know in my dealings with people within our industry you can just see everything that that psychology class taught you and you're right you're not going to be a psychologist but there are so many, you can't ignore the fact that everyone is a human being with a brain, you know, so not taking things away from those classes is a little silly, but. Yeah, because if you're not taking them, like, if you're, and if you're someone like me, especially, if you're not taking anything away from those classes, but you have to be there, you're just wasting your time, and it's like, I don't want, like, I want to be as efficient as I can. So even in, when I'm doing something I don't want to do, but I have to do, like, you got to find something to make it worthwhile or else it's going to drive you insane and you're just going to fall into like this horrible cycle. And, yeah. And then so you're going to drop I mean, out. Like, try to make the best of everything. That's just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. And that's the other thing too, like, know, know what you want to do because for what I do right now, I don't need a college degree at all. But one, I didn't grow up with, you know, big, I don't want to say big ag, like I grew up on a very small, you know, operation. And now I work on an operation that is multiple times bigger. And so like that college gave me a lot of confidence and, you know, information that I wouldn't have gotten just working, you know, 30 cows on the family farm. But also like, and I like for what I have down the pipeline, I would need a degree and but that's neither here nor there. But if you don't, like, if you just want to go farm and you have opportunity and this and that, like, not going to college is okay. As long as you make a smart, like, wise decision that you don't need to go to college, like, you don't have to go to college. Like, don't let people push you into college because honestly, it's, it's, I mean, it's a commitment. It's expensive, you know, and this, that, and the other. So, you really just got to sit down and it, it's a lot to ask out of a 
you know, an 18, 17, 18 year old kid to figure out what they want to do and this and that. So if you're not sure, I would say do one of two things, either go to community college where it's cheap and you can get your kind of BS classes out of the way or two, take a gap year, go work in the industry you think you want to be in. And if you realize that you can get where you want to be in that industry without that degree, or, you know, maybe you'll work on a farm and take online classes or do this. There's just so many things other than just going to college for four years, which is great because I made a lot of great connections and I met great people and this and that. But at the end of the day, I pay my student loans every month and it does suck. But so it's just, you got to kind of find that balance, I guess. Yeah. They say there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as free connections, huh? (laughs) You still get that bill every single month. Um, But yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I definitely think there needs to be kind of a shift within our society of, you know, early, you don't have to have it all figured out right away. And that's the pressure. It's go to school so you can figure your life out. But why are you spending that much money to figure your life out? You know, you have... you have it a gets lot of hard because like yeah yeah so like when you I mean for someone like me like I mean I'm single I have a dog and that's my life like I could do I could pick up tomorrow and move to Texas I could you know and not that I'm going to but like I don't have things holding me back so that's what a lot of people fear is you know you know because I would recommend you know you go and you figure out what you want to do and if you need further education then do it that's great. But to the same point, if you spend those, you know, if you spend two years, you know, working in the industry, you meet a girl, you get married, you have kids or right there. I mean, college is not out of the picture, but it's going to be a lot harder. And so that's what, you know, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, discipline and self-accountability and just kind of, you know, making sure all your life goals are kind of lining up to where you want to be. Cause it might not be a bad idea to just go to college and get those four years out and you know and then be able to settle down because you know you there's just there's no right or wrong way to go about it basically as long as you're moving forward and keeping your goals in mind you're doing it right I agree with that it's shouldn't fit a mold you're not a cookie cutter you're your own thing so um I was going to ask you too, this kind of delves off into a completely different subject. Are the markets, the volatility of the markets right now, has that been affecting you guys? Like, I know it affects everyone um, within the industry, right. but I don't know the immediate effects or anything. Yes, yeah, so I don't really like do a whole bunch on the financial side here um oh i gotta notice as my internet connection is unstable that's good Um, but uh i live in the middle of nowhere wyoming i have a satellite wi-fi and we got like six inches of snow yesterday so it's fun um but anyway like as far as markets i mean i was pretty in touch with grain markets because i was an elevator manager so like i was contracting grain and doing this and that um and i really when i did that i really lost touch with cattle markets so that's another thing i've just been trying to kind of figure out um you know where the markets have kind of evolved over those 
two or three years I was out of the industry. Um, but for us, like, you know, we're, I mean, we have a, a feedlot, quote unquote, we, it's a backgrounding lot. We background calves for a couple months before we send them to the sale barn. Um, so, I mean, grain prices do affect us a lot. Um, and, you know, you know, we'll feed winter protein and whatnot. And that, you know, grain prices will be affecting that. And obviously cattle prices are going to affect us a lot. But I think for a while, cattle prices were pretty good for a while. But I don't know. I don't know lately kind of how they've been. But, yeah, markets, any, like, it's people in ag try to, like, shy away from looking at markets and because like so it's for example like back home we do everything direct to the consumer we're not selling anything new feed yard i mean we'll take it here and there we will but for the most part we're selling everything direct to the consumer through a processor like we're not playing the market but that market is still going to affect our bottom line, even if we're not. I mean, we don't buy corn. We, you know, we grow our own corn and grind it. We grow our own oats and grind. We do all that, but all of that price point is still affecting the bottom line. So knowing, you know, kind of what you could potentially be doing versus what you're potentially spending, you know, it's just you kind of got to play there, and it, it's it's hard because you know your average consumer is used to grocery store prices where they don't change every day they just jump up a dollar every year instead of a couple cents here and there and then up and down but so it's hard to sit here and say like oh you know well we only charged you 375 for beef last year but we got to charge you 425 this year because the markets are up and you know this and that so and that's another thing that i don't really think consumers are ever really going to understand but it's something that we kind of need to try to make them aware of just by posting stuff like like during this Ukraine crisis, like how that's affecting, you know, the grain market and this and that. So like not necessarily saying, oh, you know, the JFM corn futures are down three cents and this, that, like, no, your average person isn't going to understand that. But your average person is going to understand that what Ukraine is going through right now, because it's on the news 24 seven. And then if you can convey to them, you know, Ukraine is a major player in the grain industry, you know, on the global spectrum, you can kind of whittle them down to that's how, you know, that's why grain might be a little more expensive or a little cheaper or this or that. And then, you know, we turn that grain into beef. So that's why, you know, beef is a little more expensive. And it's just, it's kind of, I guess, getting back to like the consumer thing, like it's kind of knowing how to play that card that we're given. Yeah. And I think I asked you about markets because I know um, you hit it on the head when I was going after, but I think there's been a lot of focus on what it's been doing to the grain markets, but people, you know, I follow a couple of cattle people on social media and there's not as much of a highlight on how that's going to affect the price of beef and other proteins and uh, livestock markets. So the fact that there is that loss of connection with, oh, this directly affects this. It's a direct relationship to higher grain prices, higher beef prices, but then again, like, I thought I saw that, like, beef prices, so the beef producer is paying more there's for them, but getting paid less for their cattle. Yeah, so there's a direct uh, inverse relationship between 
grain prices and feeder calf prices. So when grain prices are higher, your feedlots have to pay more for grain. So they're gonna pay less for your calves. So from a cow-calf producer, even if you're not feeding grain at all, like if you're not feeding cake, you're not feeding like supplemental, like you're still getting affected because those feedlots have to pay more for their grain. So to make you know their bottom line work, they can't afford. And I think it's somewhere along, and I forget exactly how it is, but for every one cent that like one goes up, the other drops 10 cents. So there's this, like, it's a, it's an actual thing that like you can predict how the cattle market's going to go based on grain markets. And so like, yeah, you might not think this whole Ukraine thing is going to affect cattle because, you know, you know, Ukraine's not a major player in the cattle world, but it does because, like I said, if it affects grain, if it affects corn price, it's going to affect the price of calves and it's going to affect, you know, the bottom dollar these feedlots are making. And I mean, that's a whole nother thing you get into is the whole big four thing in the beef industry. But, you know, everything's tied together systematically one way or the other. And that's another thing that I learned a lot in college and in my internships is kind of how the systematic approach works to everything you do is going to affect something else so there's no like like i said there's no free lunch like you're going to do one thing it's going to affect everything else you do whether it's good bad or indifferent like it's going to make an impact so that's another thing like in the ag world you need to watch out for is you know you might sit, sit here and say oh i'm going to do this and it's going to make me you know a hundred dollars a head but down the line, it's going to cost you 150, you know, because it affects this, that, or the other. And I'm sorry, I can't think of specific examples, but. No, you're totally fine. I wish there was a way to visually represent what we're talking about right now, because I know that some people that listen to these might not follow what we're talking about, but um, definitely just, I don't know. It's important to talk about the food what do they call that? The food production line um, and how there's so many different keys and pieces to when the seed gets planted in the ground to when the cow is on your plate, you know, because there it requires plants to grow cows and then the cows and all the prices. And it's just, it's crazy to me. And I don't understand all of it either, but. Yeah. And that's something I really saw like when I was at Mount Air, because I worked in a granary, I worked in a grain elevator but I still work for a poultry company. So, you know, I was on one end dealing with grain farmers, you know, 100% grain farmers on the Eastern shore of Maryland and Delaware. But at the end of the day, we were buying that grain 1,000, well, the corn especially, 1,000% to feed the chickens. So like everything I do, so I could sit there and say, I don't care about, you know, make store in this if this grain gets a little moldy whatever it's not my problem like this that the other but then they send it to the feed mill and the feed mill grinds it well they can't grind it because you know it's bad or they need to dry it first or you know this that or the other and then you know the feed mill and then it produces poor feet and then it you know goes to the farm and the, you know the chickens don't grow right and this and that so it's i mean everything is especially in ag, everything is tied together, you know, and then, I mean, even I spent six months in processing poultry processing plant. So, you know, I got to see 
you know, I mean, millions upon millions upon millions of freaking chickens. Um, and, you know, you can see how that all impacts, um, you know, from the start, you know, from when we're buying grain till they're selling chicken to, I mean, we sold chicken to like 87 different countries, um, you know, selling chicken to Washington or to, you know, I don't know, like Korea or whatever, like it all matters. And that's the one big thing that I think ag is horrible with, you know, like, and I think it's gotten a lot better in the time I've kind of been in the professional industry, but is, you know, one guy's going to say, well, you know, I don't care about these calves. Once I sell them and get a paycheck, I don't care if they're, you know, if they get sick, I'm not going to spend the money to vaccinate them, this, that, the other. Like, I don't care if, you know, they don't do well on feed. As long as they grow well and their mom weans a 600-pound calf, I don't care if they don't gain another 100 pounds for the rest of their life. Like, and that's just a horrible thing because it's all tied together. And if we're sending it down the line, it's going to – what comes around goes around, basically, is what I'm trying to say, so – yeah, I love that you brought that up. I, you just bring up so many good things because there's so many points. It's not as much about, you know, our individual experiences, but what we've learned from them and hearing the things that you've learned from the various experiences that you've had, which are super valuable. Um, it's just crazy because there is like a, produ a producer to producer gap, what I like to call it, in the fact that producers just, you know, it's, not that everyone just cares about themselves, but it's a money game. You know, it's a business like ag industry is a business and everyone within it is trying to run their own business and be successful. But the more that we just try to push our problems down the line, the more it's going to kick us in the pants. Like overall, as an industry, it doesn't just affect that one person. So when we're not willing to, you know, spend a little extra money to make sure the well-being of our animals is, you know, better off or that our crops are fertilized better so or spend more money so they don't go moldy in storage after we get rid of them it just yeah those are a lot of good points and I wish that more people could see that perspective that you've had from working in the grain elevator but also on the poultry side at the same time like it's just it's a very unique and valuable opportunity yeah I've I've done a lot, seen a lot, um, you know, I'd say, you know, we have sheep back home. Um, so I've have a little bit of sheep experience. Uh, so really the only industry I don't have decent experience in my mind is, you know, pork or pork. Um, it's kind of where I lack, but like I said, I've worked in beef cows. I've worked in dairy cows. I've worked in, you know, I've worked in breeding equine, you know, we bred racehorses, um, standard bred cart racehorses. Um, I was, I cowboyed, so you know I worked with working ranch horses. I showed like I was on the college's Western Equestrian team, so I showed horses. So I was on that whole side of things. Um, I have a lot of friends that were on the hunt seat and English team, so like I've seen, I've seen the equine industry briefly, but very broadly. Um, I've seen the poultry industry very in depth because like that program I went through, you start, you go to the breeder flocks, you go to the hatcheries, you go to the like the actual grow out farms you go through the entire I, like I said I spent six months during COVID like during the first outbreak of COVID in the processing plant which was insane um with all this you know worker shortages and everything 
but, and then, you know, I went through sales, I went through accounting, I went through IT, I went through, you know, quality assurance, literally every aspect of that industry. And, you know, that vertical integration has like shown me so much, um, like feed mills, greenery, you know, everything. And yeah, it's just, and that's another thing too. Like if you don't know what you want to do and you, you, you want to be, say you want to be an addict, but you don't know if you want to work with dairy cows, you don't want, you want to work with beef cows, like this or that. Just do it. You're not going to find out if you like it until you do it. You might do it for three months and then be absolutely miserable, but that's okay because now you know, like I milked cows for three and a half years and I loved it, but I know I never want to milk another damn cow. <laughs> So there's, there's this kind of bullshit saying of, you know, winners never quit. And I hate that because I think it should be winners know when to quit. Because if you're sitting there, like when I was in the granary, I was, I mean, I was an assistant manager for five or six months before I got promoted to manager. And they're already, and I'm not trying to freaking toot my own horn or whatever, but they were already lining out like, hey, you could be a regional manager one day. Like you can move up in this world, like this, that, and the other. But I hated it because I wanted to work with cows. I liked what I did, but it wasn't working with cows. And I could have been really successful and made a lot of money and done great things in the grain industry. But I knew when to quit. I knew when it started taking an impact on my mental health when, you know, when I would go home and just be like, what am I doing with my life? You know? And so knowing when to quit, I would say is a very noble trait. I agree with that. And I would love to pick your brain more about your experiences and, you know, everything that you've seen and done. But I think that if those who listening are more curious about individual experiences you've had that you've talked about that they can message you and I'll tag your, um, your accounts in my description of this, but I think it was just kind of one of our last topics to touch on. We talked about this in the beginning a lot, a little bit, and this is, you know, taking a branch off to cover some more information before we end this. Um, is the regenerative ag practices that you guys are implementing on your operation in Wyoming? So, and I know you get excited about that, and I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so regenerative ag, that is a buzzword if there ever was one right now um you know we've kind of gotten over the organic and over the no-till i mean I, I don't know that might still be a big thing but like all of those things it's the same thing there is high benefits to it but there's a lot of risk to it and that's why i think the biggest thing that people so start we'll start back to regenerative egg is a very broad topic it's basically doing anything in your practices that will help regenerate the soil. Like, I don't know who said it or when, like what it was specifically about, but basically there's a quote that is like, the soil is the foundation of civilization. So you look back at all these ancient civilizations, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, you know, ancient Egypt, whatever, a lot of them started to deteriorate when they had farmed their soil to the point where they couldn't rely on a crop for this vast empire that they've grown. 
and their soil was just so degraded that one bad crop year they had it just wiped them out and so you know the soil being the foundation of civilization like it's true i mean it's because agriculture is the backbone of civilization so and if you don't have soil newsflash you don't have agriculture because whether you're feeding chickens feeding cows growing corn like whatever you're doing you're growing something out of the ground or you're feeding them something that grows out of the ground so you know there's a a big like negligence or like ignorance to the fact that the soil is how important it is and it's like it's just like i can't even put it into words like if you don't think that it is important like i'm sorry but you're stupid um but so basically here like you know i mean we're we're in southeastern wyoming i mean it's a I mean, it's wyoming it's people come here i mean i don't know what number it is but tourism is a huge industry here we got yellowstone you know jackson hole tetons all that um you know people love to come here and they love to see the wildlife and this and that but agriculture and energy are also big industries so it's like trying to find the balance of that it all comes down to being regenerative because if i can put my cows out you know out on the mountain for the summer and they can graze it down and leave some for the elk or leave some for the deer i mean because i love to hunt too like i mean i i would on, honestly almost consider myself a hunter before a rancher because that's what i grew up doing with my family and um because everyone in my family hunted but so basically all we're trying to do is restore like biodiversity in the soil like because monoculture I know like, you know, when you're growing corn and stuff like that, it's hard because the demand for it and, you know, it's not easy to, you know, there's all sorts of crazy things out there about like, like seeding alfalfa in your corn or stuff like that. But um, on a livestock level, it is so easy to, you know, like back home or back east, you see a lot of like monoculture fields, you know, it's all Kentucky bluegrass or it's all orchard grass or it's all, you know, this or that or the other. Why? You know, grasses are great. Like people just go out and spray 2,4-D and kill everything that's not a grass. And it's like, why? Grasses do not have anywhere close to the protein levels that, I mean, look at alfalfa. Alfalfa is such a high price commodity because it's protein level. And I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. But there's so many other things that have high protein levels, but we haven't controlled them as much like people say oh you know i we got all these weeds in my pasture are they weeds turn your cows out there put them out in a little smaller section so they can't just graze around everywhere because i've seen examples where you've got a pasture full of quote-unquote weeds and you put cows out there those weeds are the first thing they're going to eat because they are high in protein and like i mean you could get into specific numbers and this and that but i mean trying to look at things not from a like single lane mind of view is hard because there is risk and <clears throat> you know but um but anyway so back to like our operation so like we do um some high stock density rotational grazing 
Um, we got a bunch of pivots, you know, so we're growing some decent grass so we can afford to do it. And that's kind of the thing, like, you know, I mean, the ranch I work on has been around for over a hundred years, has won awards through Wyoming Stockman's, through NCBA, like they're, they're a very progressive and great operation. And that's because they got to a point where they were like, okay, we're being successful. We don't need to keep growing. We want to make what we have better and we want to do better and we want to be better. And so like, I will be moving cows this summer. Last summer, I think I moved cows every two or three days on certain sections. And this summer it's going to be more and, you know, we're going to keep moving. So basically I really hate talking numbers just because of the way ag is. Um, but, you know, we'd have 500 pair on 40 acres. And yeah, you're not going to put them on there. And, and this is all, for the most part, single wire electric fence. And people, oh, you, you can't do that. They're just going to run. I had bulls turned out and I didn't have any problems with electric fence. So it's possible. And that's the biggest thing I think in regenerative ag. There's two problems I think with regenerative ag. One is that it does seem a little crazy, but I can guarantee you that it is possible. And it seems crazy because of number two, there is people out there and I don't wanna name names, but I think if you are active on, you know, ag TikTok, you'll know who I'm talking about that say, if you're not doing it all in 100% the way I do it, you're wrong. And they call people out and they say this, that, and the other. And it's bullshit because that is not how it works. There's a whole big thing. So Alan Savory is a big, he's, I think, from like South Africa. He had a big thing on grazing and how he restored some of the South, Af South Africans or whatever. I'm not going to get into specifics, so I don't know. But so he came to Texas and did this talk and about what he did and how it worked on his ranch or whatever. And all these people in Texas were like, oh, that was great, you know, and they just went and did it and like sold out cold turkey, you know, full potatoes, did it, and it didn't work. And that's the thing that about regenerative ag is you need to sit down, look at your operation and see what's gonna work. There's things that we wish we could do, but when you're in, you know, sunny South Alabama and you got like a thousand inches of rain every year, you can do a lot that you can't do in windy winter Wyoming when you get 12 inches of rain a year because we need places for our cows to go in and get out of the winter weather, to get out of the 60, 70, 80 mile per hour winds we have. And it's like, that's stuff you don't need to worry about you know, and there's, there's plenty of sections we have that our cows only go on once because once we get our spring rain, we don't get any precipitation until winter. So it's, that's the biggest thing about regenerative ag that, you know, if it's something that you're thinking about or that you think is crazy, like just sit down in your operation, talk to someone that's doing it. There's, I mean, so many, I mean, through extension, through, especially with social media now, there's so many resources that you can sit down and figure out one or two things that you can test on your place. Because this whole like subdividing our pastures thing, and I've only been here for, like I said, 
you know, not that long. So I haven't seen like long-term how, from when they started to where they are now, but already, sorry, in the one year I've been here, like they talk about how it was last year and just out of, you know, one pivot of good grazing land, just dividing it and rotating and, you know, being on top of that kind of stuff, they gained a couple of days of grazing. And a couple of days of grazing can translate into a couple more head of calves, which at the end of the day, just because you weren't lazy and you went up there and you put in a fence and because we put in, we divided a whole pivot in two days, put in all the electric fence, all the posts, all of everything in two days. And then it takes me, it takes me longer to drive out there and open a gate than it does for me to move cows. Because all I do is open a gate. I blow a whistle and they come through the fence. Because when you have them on those smaller sections, they chew that grass down and they know it's time to move. So you, I open a gate, blow a whistle, go home, eat lunch, come back. They're all moved. Calves, bulls, cows, everything move. Close the gate behind them and I go about my day. And people just think, oh, I, I can't, I can't, I don't have time to go move my cows every other day or every day. And it's like, but you do. And I, like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, I know, like, especially people that, you know, have cows, do row crops. Because that's, we do cows. You know, we do cows, we do hay. That's, you know, in the bigger picture, that's all we do. I know there's people that have cows, that have pigs, that have, you know, they do row crop. They, you know, they have other jobs. Like, they do so much stuff. And, yeah, it's hard. But um you know is there a time of year during the growing season during the summer you know when you're waiting for your crops to grow can you have your cows on some good ground and divide it you know when you're between spraying your crops or doing whatever like there's it's not an all or nothing thing and that's i think the biggest thing that people try to push and it scares people away is that you need to do it and you need to do it all and you need to do it now and because we, this ranch has been doing regenerative ag stuff for probably before I was born and we're still learning and we're still making adjustments and it's a never ending thing. And it's just, that's the, the biggest thing. you don't have to just jump in head first. You can, and it, it goes the same with, you know, the crops out of things, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I, I could talk forever about it. Yeah, I think you've said a lot of good things and you've got a lot of my perspectives opening up on it. Um, you kind of cut out there at the end. I don't know if you're like, Mike got jumped, but just for people listening, it cut out. Sorry about that. Um, it was only for like two seconds, but um, there. <laughs> I think there's just, everyone has different soil. Your soil has a different history. It's just like an individual person. Like the soil on your farm could be different two seconds down the road. And I don't think people grasp that. Exactly. We have on our, just on our ranch alone, we have, I don't even know how many different soil types, like from the plate, from where I live and like where I have my cows and calve my cows out, versus the main ranch where they, you know, do all their stuff versus where at the summer pasture where I have my cows versus the land around our feedlot. It's all different soil. Like my pivots out at county line where I run my cows in the um, 
summer, it is sandy, sandy soil. And same kind of with where I live. I can run my pivots 24-7 and not worry about them getting stuck. But at the ranch, <clears throat> they have a little more, you know, solid soil. I don't know what it is. I'm not a is soil person. Yeah. But so, you know, they can't run their pivots more than three, four days or they're going to start to get bogged down and, you know, get stuck and, you know, kind of make some really deep ruts. And so it's like how I manage kind of the area where I run cows versus how Ryan manages where he runs cows. Like it's completely different even within our own operation. And so that's what I mean when I say like, talk to your extension people, talk to, you know, um, just local people that do stuff because like there's people, like you could watch someone and say like, oh, I did this and it works great. And I've made a million dollars doing this. But like I said, this country is freaking huge and there's so many different, you know, climate types ecosystem soil types like so what works in like i said what works in you know eastern pennsylvania where like there's a lot of stuff so we watch videos um about regenerative ag and like it's called understanding ag and there's some great people and great minds and we'll sit there and watch those videos and it's stuff that we would never imagine doing here but i'm thinking like back in pennsylvania that could work and so it's just and that's i guess another thing that i kind of have a lot of perspective because I've worked in Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, Eastern Shore of Maryland. I did, I also did cows down there. I worked in Oklahoma. I worked in the mountains of, you know, Northwestern Wyoming, up like near Cody area. I've worked in North Texas and now I'm in Southeast or Southeast Wyoming. So like I've seen half a dozen different climate types and, you know, ecosystems and this and that. So like I kind of have, and that's another thing like freaking move around this country like i th this is the i mean even if it's not for professional career like i've done like go to freaking wyoming go to i've never been west of wyoming but go to california go to arizona go to like there's so many things that you're gonna learn and like when I, before i was a sophomore in college i had never been west of ohio and now I freaking live like 20 hours west of Ohio. And that's all because I just bit the bullet and did a freaking internship. Like if you're in college, do internships. I cannot preach that enough and get out of your comfort zone. Spend at least one summer, like more than eight hours away from home so that you just don't go home every weekend. And I understand like I had like my best friend in college, like he grew up, yeah, he has a family produce farm like that's what he knew he was going to do that after college like if you have something like that yeah obviously that's different because you're going home working the farm and like that's you're going to be your career but if like you're just going to get a job somewhere like in an industry or whatever even if you want to stay at home because before i came out here i never would have imagined leaving pennsylvania never spend one freaking summer or one semester abroad and just go somewhere and get out of your little bubble and at the end of the day if you don't like it and you want to go back home that's fine then go you back spend home. a couple months yeah. and then you figure it out but you'll never if you sit at home your entire and i'm not saying sit at home like sit in front of the tv and watch tv but if you sit at home 
and stay in your same tri-county area your entire life, you're going to be one of those people that says, you know, it'd be so cool to go live out in Wyoming. Freaking do it. Like, you're not, because I would rather go out and do something and know when to quit. Winners know when to quit. Not winners never quit. Winners know when to quit. I would rather go out and do something because I can always go back home. And I know everyone doesn't have the same supportive, you know, infrastructure that I do, but you can always go back home for a general. But once you get settled in at home, it is hard to get out of that. And you're always going to be that person that's, because I know plenty of people like this. I have family members like this. My brother lives in North Carolina. Same thing. He never left Pennsylvania until he did an internship in North Carolina. And now he lives in North Carolina. And he just had a freaking kid two days ago. So like his life is great all because he left Eastern Pennsylvania. And you're always going to just wonder what could have been. And I would rather, this is what I was trying to say, I would rather go do something and fail or hate it and quit and come back home than live at home my entire life and be like, you know, I wonder what it would have been. I wonder, I wonder, because that will drive you freaking insane. Yeah. I completely agree with all that. And I think you have a lot of wisdom. Um, I think it is time to wrap up. It's been around a, around a good hour of picking Brent's brain. So um, I just appreciate all the perspective you shared with me today. And I hope if anyone was looking for a sign to just go do whatever the heck they wanted to, that they've taken this as a sign to just go do it. Cause I'd say that's a pretty big thing. So um, thank you again, Brent. And I really appreciate the time you've taken to share everything that you have today with us. I know it's not, um, you know, with your internet and just how the ag industry is. It's not the most convenient thing to share what's on your mind in the way that you have. So (laughs) I appreciate it. Follow me on TikTok. I've gotten very, very comfortable with sharing my mind on TikTok. So Poncho Cattleman 1733, I'll probably tag it in there or something. Follow me on TikTok. Ask me questions. Um, Follow me on Instagram. I don't care. Find me on Facebook. I might not accept you, but like, (laughs) Just if you have questions, reach out. I mean, I have, like I said, I have a lot of experience and I, I'm a huge advocate for ag, but also for just young people just doing it. Like whatever you want to do. If you want to move to LA and try to be a model or you want to move to Alaska and live in a cabin and be self-sufficient, do it. Like just try it, do it, do it, freaking do it. Just do it. I think that's going to be the title of this episode. Just freaking do it. I don't know. Nike might, Nike might, Nike, yeah, Nike might not like that too much, but you're right. Nike can kick rocks on that because it is a good slogan. I'll come up with something. Y'all will see what it is, but um, yes, I will tag Brent's um, social media handles in the description of this episode. Please contact him if you've had any questions or any feedback for him. And thanks again, Brent. And we will catch you guys on the next episode.